warm welcoming. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Aaron and Pastor Ben and all the elders at Grace for inviting me to preach today. It's a, such a privilege. And as uh, Pastor Ben said, I am currently serving as a corporate chaplain in different companies uh, between New York and New Jersey. And um, as a chaplain, I, I, I talk with many people daily, daily. And one of the most common struggles that people face is fear. Fear. And Psalm 27 uh, is a psalm that I use most of the time to bring hope and confidence in God that in the midst of their struggle and suffering and fear, they and we can have this assurance that God is our light and our salvation. So you can uh, find Psalm 27 on page 460 of your pew Bibles. And when you read um, Psalm 27, there's no specific description of the circumstances that David was facing when this psalm was written. You find commentaries and there's no, nothing concrete that can give us more light what was happening at the moment uh, where David wrote the psalm. But one thing I can tell you for sure is that David was human, like you and I. He experienced fear. And as you see in the first three verses of Psalm 27, you realize that David is preaching to himself, reminding himself of the faithfulness of God during this moment of trial and tribulation. He had enemies, literally he had armies seeking to kill him. And fear is something that we cannot avoid in this fallen world. We might not have the same type of enemies that David had, but certainly we had other types of enemies that we may face daily. For those, for example, for those who are students and teachers, this coming Tuesday, you are going back to school. Now, for some of you, you might be excited, and that's perfectly fine. But for maybe some of you, the experience of going back to school as a student or as a teacher might be difficult. I experienced that when I was in school and high school. So these are the moments where you face fear, and God is reminding you that the Lord is with you in the midst of your fear. What about those who are working in companies that you heard rumors that your company is going to close because they're not doing well financially. And the fear of knowing what's going to happen to me if I lose my job, how am I going to pay my bills, how am I going to pay my mortgage? Or what about if you just experience the death of a loved one and feel you don't have direction in your life and you may be scared for the future? Or if you went to the doctor's office for a regular checkup and the doctor gave you bad news that you have a severe illness and then fear takes you and you start thinking, what's going to happen to me, for my, to my family? What's going to be our future? Psalm 27 gives us hope when we are afraid. It is a psalm of confidence and courage. 
It starts with a question, whom shall I fear? And it ends with, let your heart take courage. So I am going to organize this song around four words or four points. Confidence, presence, deliverance, and patience. Let's begin with the first one, confidence. David starts by declaring his confidence in God. The word fear or afraid is repeated three times in the first three verses. David should fear. He has adversaries and false witnesses, and his life is in danger. But here comes the difference. Here's the difference. But he knows God. And he knows what God has done for him. He knows that God has been faithful in the past, and therefore he has a hope for his future. For David, God was light, salvation, and a stronghold. So let me read the first three verses of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So we can see here that for David, God was his light. And light means security because it allows you to see when there is darkness. The light exposes the dangers that might be hidden in darkness. David feels secured by the light of God's presence. Even if he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, God will be his light in the darkness. And this takes me to Psalm 18:28. David says, For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. But also we see in these verses that God is salvation for David. And this has to do with deliverance or rescue. God does not merely rescue his people, but God himself is their rescue, their salvation. That's why David exclaims, whom shall I fear? Who indeed, remember, he's preaching to himself. He's reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. Because let me tell you something, church. We are going to be afraid. We are going to face those feelings. And that is normal. But we need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God in our lives. And as Paul said in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And this reminds me of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Reminds me that the gospel says that if we are forgiven of our sins, we have access to God the Father. And if we are forgiven of our sins, the Bible tells me that we have eternal life. What can be the worst thing that can happen to us? And I'm pretty sure that all of us may have in our minds dying. Death can be the worst thing that can ever happen to a human being. Guess what? The Bible says that Jesus conquered sin and death. If he conquers sin and death, that means that we should not be afraid. That means that even if the worst thing can happen to us, we know that we have a destiny, an eternal life with him. 
although the challenges and difficulties may be scary, we can rest knowing that we are safe in every sense of the word. I, I have a, a coin here that it was given to me in one of the conferences that I attend as a chaplain as well. And I tell people, I, I remind people that sometimes our problems and challenges and difficulties, sometimes we tend to magnify them. I'm not minimizing your pain, but the tendency is to magnify our fears. If I put the coin right there in front of my eyes, the coin is covering most of my sight. When I take the coin from my eyes, then I can see and have a better perspective of the size of the coin. Our tendency is to maximize our problems and minimize the power of God. And this psalm is reminding us not to minimize the faithfulness of God in your life in the midst of your fear. So I say that God is light and salvation for David, but also God is a stronghold or refuge. God himself is protection. There is a difference when Jesus is light, salvation, and the stronghold of a person's life when death is approaching, for example. Give an example. The atheist Philosopher Bertrand Russell, advanced in years, has, he said, the older I get, the more nervous I become. Look at the contrast to what Jonathan Edwards said. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor, theologian, and philosopher in the 18th century. He said, he was about to die, and he said this, Now, where is Jesus of Nazareth, my true and never-failing friend? He closed his eyes, and the people who, are, who were around him thought that he, he was dead. Seconds later, he opens his eyes, and he said this, Trust in God, and you need not fear. You see the difference? That's our hope. That even when the Lord is calling, home, calling us home, we know that there's no reason to be afraid. So going back to the words of David in verse 1. It is not enough to say that God is light, that God is salvation, that God is a stronghold. Why? Because even demons know this. We must be able to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The possessive pronoun my makes all the difference. Brothers and sisters, we can attend church regularly. We, we can know about God, but not know God. We can know about Jesus, but never truly met Jesus. And the question that I ask you, because I, I, I think we need to help each other here. Can you say confidently, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. If Psalm 27 is going to be yours, you need to be His. As I said before, I organized a psalm around four words. We just saw confidence. Now the next one is presence. David's confidence is rooted in God's presence. Those who trust God, love God, and long to be with Him. Let me read verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. 
So underline these three words, dwell, to gaze upon. Gaze upon means look in steadily and intently in admiration and awe. And inquire means to meditate. When David, David says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, he's expressing that he has one desire. David is obsessed with living in God's presence. This is his one desire. And he's not talking about living in the temple per se. The question that I ask you, and I ask myself many times is, is God our desire? Do we have a desire to know Him? I am convinced, church, that the more we know Him, the more we see His beauty. And the more we see His beauty, the more we want to be in His presence. And the beauty of God is reflected in Christ Himself. His work, the work of Christ, is beautiful. Knowing that we did not do anything to deserve His salvation, yet he died on the cross for us so that we experience eternal life. The beauty of his love and forgiveness cover the ugliness of our sin. For the sake of illustration, what would you do if you're in the middle of the night sleeping and then all of a sudden Jesus himself show up in your room? And he offered to give you whatever you ask. What would you ask for? What is the one thing that means the most to you? What would you choose? Paying off your student loans? Or your mortgage? Marry a certain person? Feel secure for retirement? I'm 51. I'm thinking about my retirement already. Would you ask for healing? Maybe you are at a crossroad in your life and, and you don't know what to do and you need wisdom. Would you ask for wisdom? What is the one thing that you would ask for? One thing we tell, we tell you from Scripture that for David, God himself is his great ambition. God himself is his treasure. The question that I ask you is, how can we desire God the, the way David did? I do believe, and this is my personal conviction, that it is possible to desire God when we know Him through a Scripture. When we re read a Scripture, when we meditate on a Scripture, our affections start growing for Him. And that's the only way that we, we can have desire for God. And even if we feel that our affections for God are running cold, you may say, hey, I came to Christ five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and for some reason I feel that it's different. I feel cold spiritually. I feel cold. Not like before when I came to Christ, I was on fire. You know what? We can ask God, we can ask the Holy Spirit to quicken our spirit with a flame of life, as John Piper says. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help us to love Him with our minds, and with our affections. I think that John Piper in his book, Desiring God, helps us here. There's a chapter on worship, and he says that worship should be intimately connected with desiring God. I have some quotes here, and I'm, I'm going to read three of those. I think it's going to be helpful for us today. He says, worship must have heart 
and head. Worship must engage emotions and thought. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy. What, what does it mean is that I can know the Bible very well. I can read it daily, memorize it. I can know the doctrines of grace very well. I can read books on theology. And still, my affections for God can be so cold. For John Piper, that is dead orthodoxy. And then he says, an emotion without truth produces empty frenzy, empty passion. I have met people that are on fire for the Lord. They love God with all the emotions and the heart, and we cry, and we yell, and we jump. That's beautiful. But when there's no knowledge of who God is and the gospel, that is dangerous. Because you can be deceived easy by by false teachers. So for John Piper, and I agree with him, true worship is when we're able to love God with my mind, but also with my affections. He says, true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Piper says, the resulting heat of our affection is powerful worship, pushing its way out in confessions, Longings, acclamations, tears, songs, shouts, bowheads, lifted hands, and obedient lives. I think that when we experience that, we are experiencing revival in our hearts. And that's our desire for all of us. That takes me to Psalm 63.3. That says this, My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Pay attention to what David is saying. He's saying, your faithful love is better than life. He's saying, Lord, your faithful love is better than riches, respect, fame, and even family. Are we there? Am I there? Let's continue with verse 5 and 6. Here we see that God is our shelter. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So the three words of protection in verse 5 emphasize complete care. God will hide me, God will conceal me, God will lift me. So, we saw the first two points, we saw confidence, we saw presence, now we see deliverance. In verse 7 and forward, there is a change of tone in the psalm. I want to read verse 7 and 12 to 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Pay attention to the change of tone here. It's a different already. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So David knows his enemies will return and begins with an active prayer. He had a momentary peace. He was at peace for a few times, but now he sees that now he feels that the, the, the furnace is getting heat, heat, heated. And his prayer shows us the reality of the suffering despite his strong faith. We can have strong faith in the Lord and be afraid, and that's normal. But the, the antidote to fear is what David did here. David calls out to God because he has already saved him from his enemies. God is reminding himself, Lord, you have saved me. You have been faithful. You saved me in the past. What makes me think that you will, you will not save me now? He is still in the heat of the battle. But by faith, David knows he is accepted. By faith, David knows that God will not abandon him. And so he prays passionately for God to intervene. So let's pay attention to verse 10 that says this. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Let's think about the relationship between parents and children. Children expect from a parent to be accepted, to be heard, to be guided, and to be protected. Guess what? The same thing happens to us as adults. We want the same. We seek acceptance, all of us. Let's face it. We pretend to be tough, but we're not that tough. We want acceptance. But the problem is that in this world, we experience much rejection. Parents reject children. Children reject parents. Husbands reject wives and wives' husbands. We are rejected by former friends and potential employers. Most of us, maybe all of us, I think all of us, experience rejection from someone almost every single day. But God does not refuse us. God does not reject us. Remember, church, if you are in Christ, that means that you are forgiven and therefore you are accepted. We also seek to be heard. Children want to be heard, not really caring what parents say in response, the question that I ask you is, is God ever too busy to listen when we speak to Him? Is God busy to listen to your request? The answer is never. On the contrary, we are the ones who are too busy for Him. And unfortunately, when God talks to us through Scripture and through His Holy Spirit, we are the ones who don't listen because of our sin or because of our unbelief. And maybe the reason we think he's not listening is because perhaps we don't believe that God is a true listening parent who says, ask, and it will be given to you. So we see acceptance, we seek acceptance, we seek to be heard, but also we seek to be guided and protection. Verse 10, honestly, verse 10 is comforting beyond words. 
David says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Even if my wife abandons me, even if my husband abandons me, even if my children abandons me, even if my employer let me go, even if the doctor says the worst thing to me, the Lord cares for me. God loves you more than any human mother or father, church. He wraps his arms around you. He holds you close. He hears you. He teaches you. He gives you advice. He protects you. He will always welcome you, no matter what hour of the day or night. We saw confidence. We saw presence. We saw deliverance. And finally, patience. David returns to the quiet confidence he had at the beginning of the psalm. You see, a human being begins with a sense of preaching to himself. The Lord is with me. He's afraid. Then he enters into the, into the process of anguish because now things are getting much worse. And then he goes back to the sense of patience in waiting of the, for the Lord. David returns, returns to that quiet confidence that he had at the beginning of the psalm. He waits with patience. His patience is marked by faith. Let me read verse 13. I believe, David says, that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean? He may mean that David expects God to rescue him during his lifetime. Also, it may mean that David knew God would save him through death and that he would live again to see the goodness of God after the resurrection. Why do I say that? Because when we read Psalm 23, 6, we can see that David expects God's goodness after death for eternity. Let me read verse 6. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In fact, resurrection was a vital part of the Old Testament. And we can see in the book of Job, chapter 19, verse 25 to 27, Job says this, But I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end, he will stand on the dust. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him, and not as a stranger, my heart longs within me. Brothers and sisters, with this kind of faith, in the resurrection there's no need to be afraid. As Pastor James Justin said in the commentary of the Psalms, he says this, you will see the goodness and beauty of God forever. Not in these shadow lands, but in the true land of the living. And David ends with this final challenge, verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He's telling us, wait, wait, be strong, take courage. The moment is dark, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but the Lord is reminding you, wait, wait, be strong, take courage, stand firm, 
and wait. In conclusion, I want to finish by reading Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, he says, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, this verse... He's quoting for Psalm 44. He's quoting a psalm where in the context of that psalm, the people of Israel was experiencing exile and dispersion. So Paul quotes this verse from Psalm 44 to make a point that, yes, it is true that we as believers, we might experience difficult times in our lives. But then in verse 37... He says, no, no, in all things, Paul is reminding us, in all things, it doesn't matter how dark your life may seem to be for you at this moment, Paul is reminding the church, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of love, for, the, for the love of God, Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have the greatest treasure ever. We have God Himself. With God, we have everything. He is our light, our salvation, and a stronghold. Whom shall we fear? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we often fail to trust in you by allowing fear to overwhelm us. I pray that your Holy Spirit may convince us that you are faithful to your promises and will never leave us nor forsake us. Remind us that you are our light, salvation, and stronghold. Please increase our faith in you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please, let's stand together in response to this psalm.